Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning to my favourite church in the world on this sunny Sunday morning with COVID rules gradually lifting. The atmosphere is definitely picking up, hence the bright shirt. I like a sunny disposition at last. Uh, Just a few uh, little footy stories before I do. Jesus certainly is the King of Kings. I love that song and I love that name. And uh, we'll see more about that during today's message. A couple of footy testimonies. Ralph's son-in-law, Joseph Paolo, played in the grand final to see which team gets into the English Super League next year. And his team won, so we'll be able to watch him on telly again. Also, Sione Matautia. And Kevin Aguama, who used to come to our church here when they played for the Knights, were both in the St Helens side that won the English Super League Grand Final. They played against Catalans from France, who were James Malone, who used to play for Penrith, um, his side. And Kevin Aguama got the man of the match. And I just wanted to tell you this. He was retiring and no one knew, and he was sitting on the sideline crying after the game because it was the end of his career. And one of the commentators, a lady who was very good at interviewing, went over and just sort of got down with him and chatted. Um, And she told him that he'd won the man of the match. Uh, You know, it was a pretty big honour. There were millions and millions of viewers worldwide and a pretty big audience. And amongst the words that Kevin said was this, I just want to thank my Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I couldn't have done it without him and Kevin's always been a really good representative of Jesus Christ and been involved in Christian things and prayer he's terrific for the other Christians in his team so well done Kevin I I sent him a message through Ralph and through Sefa that that'll get to him to congratulate him but just I wanted to tell you that when someone from our church gets to speak a message like that to millions of people it's very significant so it just did something for me I loved it um All right, continuing the series, Bad Boys and Bullies of the Bible. Um, My next little series will only be short. It'll be on the theology of play. And I'm hoping to get Summer Durheim, who's a play therapist, to help me a little bit with that one. I'm looking forward to that, but I want to keep that for when we all come back to church, which hopefully will be reasonably soon. But today's part four of Bad Boys and Bullies of the Bible. Today we're looking at Esau. I had to pick someone that, you know, was a bully but had a few redeeming qualities. I just couldn't take um, the ones that just, I couldn't find anything redeeming about them. Um, Let me tell you about Esau, who was the eldest son of Isaac and Rebekah. He was Jacob's twin brother. He was a man of the field and a clever hunter. He was rejected by God for the role of Israel's national leader because he despised his birthright and its responsibilities as a young man. Sometimes when we're young, we don't realise the value of what our parents have put into us. So um, he certainly suffered for that. It goes on to say he had a fruitless repentance when he missed out on the kingship later in life, and we'll read about that near the end. He never mentions God once in all his dialogue. But here's the redeeming feature. Later in life, when he saw that God still provided for him really well, he named his sons Eliphaz, which means strength of God, and Reuel, which means joy of God. So obviously something had shifted and changed, as we'll see by the end of the story. 
Esau was a bully because he threatened to kill Jacob, which split the family apart. Um, And even later in life, he's still a guy that takes his soldiers everywhere he goes, whereas Jacob was a guy that took his family everywhere he went. Um, Esau's just kind of an interesting character. Uh, I know this is a long intro, but I'll, I'll get to the scripture in a sec. But coping with the coming and going of people is an area of life that we all need to develop skill at because it's not an easy thing. Psalm 121 says that God watches our coming in and our going out. And I thought not just in families but in churches, in our jobs and in our relationships, God watches how we come and go and how we handle other people coming and going. And he wants us to be secure and to treat them well. And he will call us to account on how we handle that. 1 John 2, 19 to 20 says this. It's an interesting one. They went out from us but did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. Their going showed that none of them belonged to us. It doesn't mean you can't leave your family and go overseas and things like that. But I think the thing of staying in good relationship as we come and go is a bit of a deal to God and it is a revealer of hearts. So how people leave and how they enter is a deal. Um, uh, All right. Matthew Henry says this, even the purest of churches have their apostates. Um, Sacred truth holds people together. Leaving the wrong way reveals the hypocrisy of the lever. God uses it to reveal to you who you should really relate to in life. I'll tell you an interesting story that quickened to me as as I read this, and after this I'll I'll read the scripture to you about Jacob and Esau. But um, there's an old, old proverb about an old man sitting outside the city gates. And people used to come up that were approaching the city and a bit worried about their future. Obviously, they'd fleed from somewhere that wasn't so good. But um, they would say to him, old man, what will life be like for us in the city that lies ahead? And he used to say this, well, what was life like for you in the city you just left from? And the first family said, well, we found it really horrible. People were mean. They stole from us. Uh, I did, we didn't like the way everyone was treated and we found people stingy and horrible everywhere we went. And he says to them, so shall it be for you in the city that lies ahead. But then the next family that comes when he says to them, how did you find it in your last city? They said, we found it friendly and generous. People enjoyed taking care of each other and we enjoyed life there. And he says to them, so shall you find it in the city that lies ahead. So often we blame where we live for how life is for us, but not 100% of the time, but very often what we sow is what we reap. And sometimes we, we bring that onto us. Some people I know, like John Collar and Ivan Pullum, would probably relate well no matter what the city was like they were in and people would respond to them well. And I just think some people have a great thing like that on their lives, and I like learning from them. Um, Let's let's read the scripture then. Let me read the story to you in scripture, and uh, we'll teach from that. All right, we're reading from Genesis chapter 25, verses 22 to 34, so I'll go pretty quick. 
This is when they're in their mother's wombs, Jacob and Esau, they're, they're twins, in their mother's womb. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. It's a very significant prophecy. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac, the dad, was 60 years old when Rebekah, the mum, gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Now listen to this key verse. Isaac, this is the dad, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. You could put the most, loved Esau the most. But Rebecca loved Jacob the most. I've just written in my Bible, mm, trouble brewing. <laughs> because even though you might have natural bents, to different people, it's really unwise to show favouritism. And I thought, oh, some interesting stuff will come out of this one. So when they'd grown up, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me now? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore on oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. And it says in the Bible, last sentence, so Esau despised his birthright. God took note of that. Just one little passage, very short from Genesis 27. So this is what happened out of that. So Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. So the father's about to die. Now Esau decides he wants to be in charge of the nation. He wants the birthright, what was rightfully his as the firstborn, but he's gotten rid of it. It's his own fault. He's gotten rid of it cheaply. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Whoa. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Iran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? And he actually never, never returned home. So it's a, it's a sad story. And, you know, even as I'm preaching this, um, I was talking to someone just before I came in, you know, not in this city, in a different city, and um, they asked me to pray because the husband's been stabbed by the wife and he's fighting for his life in hospital. And I thought... Family conflict can be really, really heavy sometimes. I think in family situations, because it's a thing where there's supposed to be so much love, when there's not, the amount of hate can be incredible. So, you know, I'm, I'm aware of family stuff going, going skew if as I, as I preach this to you. First point, beware of holding grudges and making threats. 
you have to believe that God is the payback king. If Jesus is the king of kings, it's not just kings on the earth, but king of situations. He knows how to pay back. He knows how to let people reap what they sow. You don't have to do the payback. So beware of holding grudges and making threats. You've got to process yourself. These two guys have, have a reasonable time together when they meet after many decades apart because both of them have done some work in processing themselves. Hebrews 12, 16 says this. Um, uh, the point is, Esau wants restitution, but he doesn't seek pardon for what, he, for what he did wrong. And I'll read to you what Hebrews 12, 16 and 17 says about that. It's kind of interesting why it says it. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. It's always a, it's always a sign that something's wrong in their heart when, when they want the restitution of their stuff, but they won't apologise for what they've done wrong. They just make the others try and look totally evil. It's, it's interesting when they meet back together, and we'll read it at the end, because they've both realised that they did stuff wrong. They're both facing a giant when they come back together. It, 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 there's an interesting principle in Scripture, and it's a grace principle. In Leviticus 13, it talks about leprosy, and it says a really interesting thing, and this is the way leprosy works. When someone has one leprous spot on them, they're to be pronounced unclean, and no one is allowed to go near them because they'll catch the disease, a bit like COVID. But when the leprosy has run its course and their body is completely covered in it, when they're covered in it, they're pronounced clean. And it's okay to be near them because you won't get infected. It's a bit like that in, with the concept of sin. We need in this life to see ourselves undeserving of God's grace to us because we are out and out sinners. And if we can do that, we become very good at being gracious to other people in our dealings. But if you see yourself with just the one spot and you think, oh, I'm not too bad, I'm better than everyone else, then, then you can be really ruthless with people, and God doesn't like it. A foundation of grace leads to gratitude to God. Um, someone who's got a good foundation of grace when they're in a tough situation will always deal with their own sin first and not be always pointing the finger at someone else. Peter Massey said a really interesting thing on our online lunch last Sunday. We're, we're talking about power imbalance, and he said this quote. It was amazing. He said, the key is when you hold power in a situation, the key is how to hold power and be alongside someone rather than over them. That's just a brilliant, insightful quote that has the answer how to handle power. Brilliant. All right, second and last point. This is some stuff from Matthew Henry, who I just found the best Bible teacher on the whole Jacob and Esau thing. He says this, Esau, like most hunters, had strong appetites, desires and drives, and he was a bit harsh. But he was weak at reasoning with himself and leading himself. Proverbs says this, 
Bring up a child in the way they should go, and when they're older, they'll not depart from it. And I've always seen the meaning as, you know, if your kids stray, don't get too panicky. If you brought them up the right way, they'll eventually work their way back to God or back to, to, live, to living a right life. And I still think that. But I just wrote this in reference to Jacob and Esau. I, I, I thought I just saw something. It's like in the Jacob and Esau story, that scripture would say, bring up a child in the way they should go. And when they're older, they won't get away with throwing out a right way of living. Because Esau threw it out and he missed out and he suffered for it. And I, you just got to be careful when you're young what stuff you, you throw out. But, you know, if you've made a mistake, well, apologise and humble yourself and pull it back in. Um, I just felt to say this today when I was in prayer. It's just, I was reading this and this is what I felt the Holy Spirit say to me. Tell the people... Don't let your backslidden children lead you. You don't have to disagree with them and fight them, but if they're in a backslidden state, they're not to be the leaders of the family just because they're young and you're old and they've got a strong opinion. Apostasy, that's kind of people leaving the faith, is the desertion of or departure from your own convictions and beliefs. If you depart from them, it leaves you coming up short in receiving the grace, favour and protection of God. Sometimes when people put fear into you, you've got to be very careful of what that can lead to. All right. So listen to this on, on having the right foundation of grace, Matthew Henry. I think this is the best thing I can tell you today. When you depart from grace... The roots of bitterness spring up quickly and easily. Bitterness very often leads to corruption and the teaching of defiling practices to those under your jurisdiction. I, I think that's the most sobering thing as a parent. There were so many times I didn't want to live to the highest level. I wanted to live under it. But I had kids and I knew they were watching and even though it drove me nuts, sometimes I thought, no, I've got to get this thing right. Even today, I sent a text to Daniel. We were doing a trip to the tip the other day, and I was swearing about something. So even today, God convicted me of that. And I texted him and said, I apologize for swearing when I was with you the other day. That was sin, and I don't want to be a bad example to you and ultimately to the grandkids that are coming along. So sometimes you've got, you know, you've got to pull yourself back into line and take heed of, of that kind of thing. All right, I finished. I finished, but not quite. I like to finish with a story. I'll do the conclusion, a couple of good things. I love this story. I first shared this story about 25 years ago and I've dragged it back out because it's a ripper. Um, I'll just preface it with this. An old-fashioned mum was staying with her bachelor's son his girlfriend Julie was around and she suspected that they were living together but not going to tell her. Anyway, in the son's home, his soup ladle goes missing and he sends his mum a note. Now, mum, I'm not saying you stole the soup ladle and I'm not saying you didn't, but nevertheless, the soup ladle's gone missing. The mum sends a message back saying, now, son... I'm not saying you did sleep with Julie and I'm not saying you didn't, but if Julie had slept in her own bed, she would have found the soup ladle by now. <laughs> it's just like 
That's like God's wisdom compared to our wisdom. Sometimes we just reason things out so we can have a bad attitude. But listen, God will, God will nail you every time. Um, yeah, okay, that'll do. Scripture, end of the story. This is where they come back together and it's really interesting because I figure there's going to be a war and they're going to try and kill each other. But here's what happens in Genesis 33. I'm just picking select scriptures to keep it short. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So basically, he was fearing for his life. He's sending gifts ahead to Esau, trying to placate him. But this is what happened. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept together. How beautiful is that? They both had, you know, lots and lots of possessions and were super, super wealthy. God had looked after both of them. goes on to say in verse 8, Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met that you sent me? To find favour in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, listen, I already have plenty. My, my brother, keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I found favour in your eyes, accept this gift from me. Because Jacob feels guilty for ripping him off. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Have you ever had that experience? Where it just hasn't been right with someone for a long time and for different reasons you haven't bumped into But you bump into them and they're really gracious. And you're gracious back. And honestly, it's like talking to God. It's like having an experience with God. It's just beautiful and it's like the Holy Spirit is all over it when two people are gracious in that situation. Now, this is also interesting. Verse 12, then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. It's like Jacob goes, no. He just wants his space from Esau. Verse 15, Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that, Jacob asked? Just let me find favour in your eyes and I'll be on my way. Um, I just really like that reunion. There's such a great simple lesson in that for all of us that when it's all said and done, no one actually gets ripped off if you're a God person. God takes care of them both really well. And that's why there's no antagonism. The meeting, um, they're both facing a giant, Jacob for ripping off his brother and Esau for threatening to kill his brother. They each face a giant from their past. It's easily overcome because they're both gracious. It's just the most beautiful thing when two people are gracious with each other after they've had a hassle. It's a wonderful thing. Note, Jacob is happy to move on in peace without a close relationship. And I just wrote this. Some relationships just need the right space so they can flow smoothly. God bless you, church. Love you. Over to you, Jacques and Kat. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.